This show is produced and hosted by Mark Weber. The show is sponsored by G3 Apparel and the Van Heusen Company. The views expressed in the following program are those of the sponsor and not necessarily the opinion of 710 WOR or iHeartMedia. Who is Mark Weber? He's a self-made business executive here to help you find your success. From the New York City projects to the Avenue Montaigne in Paris, his global success story in the luxury world of fashion is inspirational. He's gone from clerk to CEO twice. Mark is classic proof that the American dream is alive and well. Here's your host of Always in Fashion, Mark Weber. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guy's lost. Everybody. Of all the things that angered me this week, oh, and there were plenty, once again, the plague is on my mind, on all our minds. There is no playbook for a pandemic. No one in modern-day America had a clue. No one in the world was prepared. It's hard to point fingers. Why point fingers? No one knew what the degree of seriousness was with the COVID-19 virus. No one knew the degree of difficulty that was coming. No one knew anything. Oh yeah, though, we can blame. We can criticize. We can politicize. We can disrespect. But we can't afford dishonesty. Let's hold that thought for a moment. It's been a while since I gave the president advice. (laughs) But I can't stop yelling at the TV screen. And when he's on the world stage talking about the pandemic, he's a shipwreck. I'll tell you, though, what made me crazy was with all due respect to former Vice President Biden is when he accused the president of being responsible for all 200,000 deaths. That's just not right. The president's response, when he reads it, it's poorly executed. And frankly, he sounds weak and tired answers to the government's managing of this insane problem. The virus has been devastating. The loss of lives, the loss of our lifestyle as we knew it, But saying the government was at fault, it's just not true. The government stepped up from the president to the task force he assembled to Vice President Pence, Fauci, Burks, the CDC, the Army Corps of Engineers, WHO, the private sector coming together. I'm getting crazy listening to the Monday morning quarterbacks. Before I go any further, let me bring in my son, Co-host, attorney, Jesse Weber. Hey, Jesse, you need to be channeling the president, Donald Trump, tonight. It's two months from the election. Hey, out there, you don't like the president? Fine. You can't stand him? Your choice. You don't like his policies? Speak your peace. We still have the First Amendment. Criticize his policies? So be it. But Monday morning quarterbacking, his action on the virus, that I can't accept. Jesse, good evening. Oh, excuse me, I mean Mr. President. You know what a Monday morning quarterback is? Marco Polo, first of all, thank you for having me back on Always in Fashion. Terrific ratings. Everybody's talking about the ratings of the show. Fantastic. We want to talk sports. Let's get down to it. Everyone knows what a Monday morning quarterback is. Okay, I love football. Great American pastime. Those guys have to get out there. Those college guys, you got to grow a set of balls. Everyone knows what they have to do. Whoa, whoa, Mr. President, Mr. President, I want to help you. There's a reason college athletes were afraid to turn to their sports. Well, let me just tell you something, okay? Okay, nobody's thinking about this, but I am because I have a very large brain. There are long-lasting concerns. These are young guys. These are young guys. They're starting off in the... In the college football, they want to be at the NFL. They're nervous about this China virus and what's going to happen to their lungs and their, and their bodies. They want to make sure they're good. They want to make sure they're good for their whole careers. Uh, Mr. President, for someone who understands the risk of catching the virus, sometimes you're not very good at plotting the course of action. Marco, we got to get the country open. 
We gotta get it open. We gotta be careful. So let them wear a helmet. I mean the virus. Listen, listen. You're not listening. You're a talker. You're not a listener. They can play. They just have to be careful. What does that mean? Do you notice the coaches are wearing masks? What do you think that's about? Oh, that's a good question. All right, all right. Enough of this fancy talk. Why did you bring me here tonight? I thought we were going to talk about my beautiful, beautiful suit collection. This is always in fashion. You want to talk football? All right, now I want to talk about Monday morning quarterbacks. You know what the concept of a Monday morning quarterback is? Because it seems to me all the pundits and all the anti-Trumpers and all the people on the Democratic side are Monday morning quarterbacks. What is a Monday morning quarterback? These are quarterbacks that play on a Monday night. Everyone knows this. <laughs> no. A Monday morning quarterback is on Monday. Anybody could be the quarterback of the team. Now that they saw the results, they saw what worked and what didn't work, who won, who lost, what they should have done, would have done, could have done, they have all the answers. But I got news for you. While this pandemic was happening, there was no playbook for it. First of all, you sound like a member of the fake news team. They feel like they know it all, those little losers. <laughs> Listen, football, football, I'm glad you brought it. It's a beautiful analogy. Football, you know, they have game plans. They have strategy. We did the same thing, okay? Called Mike Pence, my little quarterback. He was my little quarterback. I was the coach of the team. Burks, Fauci, linebackers. Maybe not Fauci. Maybe not. He's a small guy. Everyone sees him. But you get what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. But I want to stick to what I think tonight's show should be. There is no handbook for a pandemic. But I agree. You've done the work. But the problem is, when you stand up and read, and you recite the ventilators, the this and that, it sounds so weak. It sounds like you're on your back foot making excuses rather than driving home the point that you did what needs to be done. I'm a beautiful reader. <laughs> Not on this, you aren't. If I can be so bold, Mr. President, and give you some advice. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me, I don't need your opinion. Last time I took advice from somebody, his name was Michael Cohen. That didn't work out so well, okay? I don't need your advice. Don't compare me to Michael Cohn, okay? You know what? Too bad. I'm going to give you my advice, okay? I'm listening. I'm listening. All right. Let me begin by saying you're banned from reading at the podium. If you need to read, then figure out the teleprompter. But you standing down there with your head down reading is horrible. Now, if you don't mind, this is what you should say. I was going to say this is what I think you should say, but it's not a question of think. I'm sure about this. My fellow Americans, this virus. China virus. <laughs> this virus has been a tremendous loss of human life. It's not acceptable. Not one life is an acceptable loss, let alone the degree which we're seeing people pass. This is a hurt on our society, and it's unacceptable. Yet we're confronted with this travesty. But I have to say the following, and let's take a moment to remember what happened. The country was in a state of panic or couldn't panic, and I made it my business to speak carefully and make sure we were calm. But in so doing, did you forget? We're all worried about running out of supplies. We're worrying about our system shutting down. There was a run on every drugstore and a run on the shopping centers and food stores for no reason. We kept the country moving. We kept the country running. Essential services performed as they were supposed to. Yes, there was concern for the supply, but I met with industry leaders, and they were on board. They knew what they had to do to keep their businesses moving forward. They understood their responsibility to the American people. The farmers, while concerned about the infection, continued to grow their produce. In spite of the viruses, the companies continue to process that produce. Not one, no disruptions. 
The food supply flowed. Public works, water supply, electricity continued. No disruption. Fuel, gas, and oil was processed. And the availability of solid, no-price gauging took place in our country. And I was proud of that, as you should be. Health and services, from drugs to first responders, to supplies, it was a brilliant effort. My team was brilliant in finding solutions and sharing the plan and advising the public. We had no strikes. Public transportation continued, the rails, the trucks, airplanes were needed. There was no loss at all on essential services. Yes, we closed down the world and our country, and it saved lives. Yes, I closed our borders. It saved lives. We set the example for the world, and it saved lives. I pushed the Fed on monetary actions, and this stabilized the dollar. It saved the stock market, which allowed your savings and your 401ks to stay in place. We made sure your savings, your pensions were secured. And on top of all of that, we introduced Operation Warp Speed, which has been working on treatments on the virus, but most importantly, a vaccine, which is on the horizon. We advanced the process from beginning to delivery on this vaccine, and now we're working on how to distribute it throughout the United States. Yes, my fellow Americans, we are all suffering. We've lost loved ones. We've lost friends. We've lost people contributing to our society. The threat is still there, and we're working to get it behind us. But let's be honest. There is no playbook on a pandemic. Well, Mr. President, that's what I think you should say. Stop apologizing. You did nothing wrong. Don't take this stuff to heart. You should be sad, but you've done what was right. Marco, I loved it. It needed a few more. A lot of people are saying, frankly, terrifics, fantastics, biglies, and it would have been a perfect speech, but I'll have my press corps secretary, Kayla, take a look at it. It was great. (laughs) Mr. President, you ought to fire your advisors. You know, you're right. You're right, of course. But unfortunately, they're all my children. (laughs) Uh, All right, Mr. President. I think uh, I've worked on the optics. But I have one more thing to say for all of our friends out there. I read this somewhere. You know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. We humans are the same. The only difference between the humans... And the horses? Seems to me the horses have common sense and they know a good thing when they see it. (laughs) With that, tonight, no one has a playbook for the pandemic. We'll take a break. We'll be back in a minute. Always in fashion. This is Mark Weber. Of all things, I'm thinking about fashion. But a very specific part of fashion. I'm working from home like most of you. And I'm wondering, what do I look like when people see me on the screen? I think it's important to still look my best. I believe it's important to still look professional. I'm watching television. So many people around the country, all the reporters, all the commentators, late night people, everyone's considering how they look. We have an added element when we're in business. You have to feel relaxed. You have to feel, well, frankly, comfortable in your clothes. With that as a backdrop, Van Usen, my title sponsor, makes the greatest collection of sportswear for men under the Flex Collection. The Flex Collection is designed specifically with you in mind for your comfort. In dress shirts, they put a special elastic in the neck, so no matter how you move, no matter whether you gain weight or not, sorry, you're at home, it still fits you comfortably. You don't feel it pulling, you're happy. Your pants, your shirts have a flex technology in them that moves with you. So no matter what you're doing, sitting, standing, for long periods of time when you're working at home, you're going to feel comfortable. And that is a great added benefit of the Van Usen Flex Collection. Now, aside from that, I'm in the fashion business and you want to look right. That's what we think about in fashion. You want to look current and you want to look the best you can be 
and work with yourself. What do I look good in? What do I look best in? How do I make sure I look professional? Van Usen's Flex Collection represents fashion, comfort, and style appropriate for this period and time and place. Whether it's solid colors, whether it's stripes, it's plaids, whether it's woven shirts or knit shirts, the Flex Collection is designed to keep you looking your best. Now, when you're working, nobody's seeing your pants, but you have to wear pants. Wouldn't it be nice if you're wearing pants that stretch with you? The Van Usen Collection provides that. So having said this, you're going to work from home. You still have to look your best. Competition in the workplace didn't disappear with you being at home. Trust me, Van Usen gets it, and they're doing right by you. Go online, go to JCPenney online, go on VanUsen.com, and you'll see what I'm talking about, the Van Usen Flex Collection. Welcome back to Always in Fashion. Here's your host, Mark Weber. There is no playbook for a pandemic. Nobody has done this before. Nobody knows what the rules are. Nobody knows how they're supposed to behave. These are uncharted waters. These are experiences no one has had. Should be no surprise that we're all struggling. I, for one, am impressed with the government, private industry, the doctors, the first responders, all the people involved in keeping us afloat. No question it's been a disaster when you consider what's happened with human life. But at the same time, The majority of the world is moving on, albeit we're all in the same place. We're still locked down. Things aren't great. But what do you expect? There is no playbook for a pandemic. I want to talk a little bit about private industry and what got me thinking about this. Last week, my son called me. My son works for a large company in the apparel, luxury retail sector. And one of the senior most people in the company asked him to call me. He said, your father was the CEO, big company, in 2008 when the world started to fall apart from a business point of view. What did he do? How did he deal with it? And I remember him asking me on the phone, Daddy, they're asking me what you did and how you felt about it at the time. And I remember exactly what happened to me. But I want to hold that for a minute. I want to play something for you. It's a movie called Broadcast News. I'll set it up. There is a guy at home, great journalist. He isn't the most good-looking guy, so he doesn't look good on screen, but he knows his stuff. And there is a great-looking broadcaster on TV. And the guy at home is feeding information to the broadcaster. And I want you to listen to how this works, because he's at home, The broadcaster is using his ideas. Let me play that for you. Hi. Listen, the pilot that shot down the Libyan in 1981 is stationed right here. Maybe you can get him. Also, Tom should say the F-14 is one of the hardest planes to fly, and they're nicknamed Tomcats. Thank you. Gaddafi, this is not war. The F-14 is one of the most difficult planes to master. They're called Tomcats. George, isn't the F-14 Tomcat one of the most difficult machines for a pilot to master? I think you're right. In the 70s, uh, the first crop had a number of crashes. There was trouble with him in the early days, back in the 70s. Thank you, George. Jennifer Mack is standing by at the White House. I say it here, it comes out there. Yeah, my story is about saying it here, and in this case, reading and hearing it elsewhere. The last time I ran into a huge problem, I'll never forget at the time the president of LVMH calling me on the phone and asking me what I thought about the world in which we were in. I remember saying emphatically, it's really simple. Well-run companies thrive in difficult environments. And I remember talking to him over the course of an hour about what I would do and what I intended to do. And I said, the first thing we all need to do is start thinking. Slow down. Don't make decisions. Take it upon yourself to think. 
You're entitled to think. In fact, the company wants you to think, and even more importantly, our shareholders want you to think. Don't rush to decisions. So I'm talking to you out there who run companies, who have divisions. It's a very difficult time in this pandemic. Don't ready, fire, aim. Don't make decisions without thinking it through. If there was ever a time to lock yourself away, no distractions, and think about the options. Every decision always has pros and cons. Lay them out. If you're really meticulous, get a piece of paper and say, on this problem you're facing, this is the good things will happen if I make this decision, and these are the bad things if I make this decision. These are the good things that can happen if I don't do anything. These are the bad things if I don't do anything. And I remember my dialogue with him and saying, think. This is a time to think. I, for one, are not going to make any rash decisions. Maybe my customers aren't coming through the doors. Maybe they're not buying as much as they were. Maybe my stores are empty compared to where they were. But people are still coming in and they're finding great product. And if you focus on great product and you focus on who you are, you'll do well. You need a strategy for difficult times. In a pandemic, there is no playbook. But in general business, there always is. There's something to look back. My style, I want a strategy. I want to think about what my company will look like at the end of this pandemic or at the end of that business problem. What do I want to do? Who are the people that I need with me to get the job done? How do I protect that they'll be here at the end? The first thing you do when there's problems, cut back inventory. Stop manufacturing into the problem. You have enough. You always need patience. And at the same time, I wonder, did you save for a rainy day? I always look for an at. And that is what you do when things are done well. Companies thrive in difficult economic environments. Are there any companies right now that you think are doing the right thing in this pandemic, that are thriving in this pandemic? Absolutely. My former company, LVMH, you don't see them running sales. You don't see them liquidating merchandise. You don't see them doing anything to weaken their position. They're behaving as business as usual. I think it was three weeks ago, they did $22 million in one week or for the month. I don't recall. $22 million for the month, I think it was, in Shanghai. They set a record because there's a pent-up demand, so they're behaving accordingly. We look at a number of our favorite companies, Jesse, Uniqlo. They're not panicking. Yes, they had a summer sale at the end of the season. And yes, they're promoting the new fall assortments coming forward. You can't afford to panic. They're also doing well because they created the airism mask, masks that have literally in such high demand, you can only order a certain amount of it. So they've created a product that everyone needs right now and is doing amazing. Well, that could be a factor of then I don't want to make a lot and get stuck with them. So they're selling out what they have, and that's for another night. And no one could sell enough masks to compensate for what's being lost. But the companies that are going out, changing their distribution, if you're selling Macy's, Dillard's, and Nordstrom's, and now you're deciding, you know what? I want to sell my products off-price, and I'll open up my distribution. I love off-price retailing. I shop it all the time, but it's not necessarily the right decision for your brand. Look, I'm a student of the luxury business. You want to talk companies? Rolex. Rolex just came out with a whole new line of Submariner watches. They're great if you like Submariner Rolex. They're also great if you have to wait three years to get one. They're not going to oversupply. The best car companies are really on their game. Ford. Ford, up until this point, their stock is still horrible. I don't know enough about the company. But when you look at Ford, Ford basically sells the F-150 pickup truck. is the largest selling pickup truck in the world, followed by their Mustang. Other than that, you never heard of their cars. They just reintroduced the Bronco. I'm surprised by that because where are people going? Why are they jumping in a car? 
People still need cars. The world is opening. They still need to, to drive. And people are interested in cars. But they just introduced the Bronco. This is the hottest automobile release ever. They already have pre-assigned orders for 150000 and people haven't even seen them in person. People are lining up to buy the Ford Bronco and its many variants that they're offering in 2021. I myself want to buy one just to have it. It's so cool looking and so convenient, but I can't buy it now. I don't even know what it looks like. You can't detail it. Companies are looking to the future and saying, what do I want to look like at the end of the pandemic? Those are the ones that are going to survive long time. Those are the ones that you're going to admire. Those are the companies you're going to be interested in. And those are the companies that are going to inherit the earth when the earth reopens. From my point of view, I go back to difficult times, and I may have told this story already, when DKNY wanted to buy back their jeans company from a third party who was running their jeans company for them. I'll never forget the work I put in to justify buying back the jeans company. One of the reasons it was licensed to another company was it was easy. Someone else took inventory positions. Someone else designed it. It was a licensing deal where I rented my name to them. But I woke up one day and realized I wanted it back. I thought that at the end of a difficult retail environment when no one was selling much, jeans would do great. And the first thing I did was research. Before I would even go public to LVMH and state to them that I wanted to bring back the jeans business in-house, I wanted to make sure I was on solid ground. I hired a research firm that I was very familiar with who had a, their pulse on what consumers think, both on Internet research and face-to-face focus groups. And over the course of six weeks, they interviewed a lot of people. I'll never forget how fascinating I thought that research was. And interesting, I'll share with you what I learned very simply. First thing I wanted to know was who my customer was and what they thought about the brand. I had two brands at the time, Donna Karen, that was a collection brand, and DKNY was a brand that was more available to the masses. Collection, the dresses started at $1,500 and went up to 10000 you wanted to buy a pair of pants in Donna Karen collection, it was no less than $700. All the shoes were $1,000. A very expensive collection business, but it was Donna Karen and people understood it. DKNY was completely, they call it the second line, diffusion, down from Donna Karen. DKNY was a great brand, launched in 1990, one of the great contemporary New York City brands that you'll ever find. And when I asked the question, what did they expect to find in a Donna Karen store when they walked in during the Donna Karen part of the research? They said jeans and T-shirts. Jeans and T-shirts in Donna Karen. Now, why weren't we surprised after we talked it through? Our DKNY jeans business for the past 15 years was a $300 million business for 15 years, that's billions of dollars worth of products sold in jeans and T-shirts. So the first thing I learned was about my brand. And no matter what Donna Karen was, no matter expense it was, DKNY and Donna Karen were joined forever. The second thing I learned is you can have all the other clothes in the world, jeans and T-shirts, matter. Then I wanted to know, who is my customer? It wasn't surprising to find out that very affluent women in particular, lawyers, doctors, professional people, society people, were buying our collection products, albeit at Neiman Marcus and our own stores around the world in London or New York, San Francisco. They were finding it because they appreciated the quality and exclusivity of Donna Karen. In the case of DKNY, because of genes, because of the availability, and although we had a significant portion of women's ready-to-wear, to wear to work, to wear to dates, jeans and T-shirts was an opening price that allowed entree 
to people of all ages and to people of all social and economic categories into the brand. They might not have been able to afford Donna Karen, but they could afford a pair of DKNY jeans or a T-shirt or the handbags or shoes that would be at the price points you'd expect with DKNY. And what did we learn? Is that like Armani Exchange? Yes, in theory, but I don't want to stand there and explain to people what Armani Exchange is. What I want to explain to people is DKNY, because of jeans and T-shirts, because of its universal appeal to people of all ages and people with all socioeconomic conditions, we sold to a diverse group of people because the price points were affordable, the quality respected, and the halo for Donna Karen smoothed out the understanding, gave goodwill to DKNY here in the United States and around the world. Look, I was the CEO of Donna Karen and DKNY for nine years. I knew why I wanted the jeans, but I found a way to prove it. And when I made the presentation to the LVMH group about buying the jeans company, the presentation did all the work. It was as if I almost didn't have to say a word. Now, why am I talking about this tonight? Because at the end of the day, there is no playbook for a pandemic. But being calm, being collected, spending time to think, finding a strategy and executing it, don't ready, fire, aim, And most important, Stephen Covey, who wrote the book, The Seven Habits for Highly Successful Executives, my favorite one of the seven habits, begin with the end in mind. Think about who you want to be at the end of the pandemic. So you ask, what is the moral to the story? The moral to the story is I got the call from my son, asking me what I did in difficult times. And my answer was, well-run companies thrive in difficult environments. And as I said earlier, I I never forgot how the president of LVMH, the managing director, called me up and asked me what I thought about what was going on. And I said to him, well-run companies thrive in difficult environments. About 10 days later, I'm sitting at my desk, going through my mail, and I get an email from then a very high individual whose name shall go unmentioned within the LVMH hierarchy. And he wrote a letter to everyone. And the subject matter was, well-run companies thrive in difficult environments. (laughs) I'll never forget laughing to myself. I said it here. It came out there. There is no playbook for a pandemic. We'll be back in a minute. Always in fashion. This is Mark Weber. We're living in strange times. There's no question about it. We're regrouping. We're rethinking about what our lives look like. We're working from home. And that is a new phenomenon. What has changed is that we are video conferencing. We're being seen when we're working from home. In the past, we did our jobs when we worked at home. We called in information. We sent emails. Today, we're being watched. We're all there. We're having video conferences, and we're being seen. One of the biggest mistakes you could make is forgetting that you are in a workplace, different workplace, but you are working and you're being seen. Because you're at home, competition in the workplace has not changed. You are competing. You are trying to prove that you are special and you deserve the best that your company has to offer. With this in mind, I think about my friends at Van Usen, one of the greatest shirt makers in our history, in our life. They've been around for over 150 years. Not only do they make great shirts, it's a given that their quality is exceptional, their fit is perfect, but they look right. When you're sitting in front of your computer and showing your image to your boss, you want to look your best. You are competing for all the great things that life has to offer, even though you're at home. It's important to be with a company you can trust. 
It's important to be with a company that makes products that know what is right for the times. It'll make you look your best. That is Van Usen. I spent so many years working for the company. I know their dedication. I know how they look at fashion. I know how they look at style and how important it is. Whether you're wearing a dress shirt with a tie, whether you're wearing a dress shirt open at the neck, or you're wearing an obvious sports shirt indicating who you are, how serious you are, how professional you are, and it doesn't matter that you're at home. With this in mind, Van Usen, one of the great shirt makers ever, is here to help you look your best in this unusual time working for home. Van Usen, great shirt company. Welcome back to Always in Fashion. Here's your host, Mark Weber. Don't know why I didn't come. Don't know why I I have to tell you, life is so complicated right now. You have to remember, though, there is no playbook for a pandemic. And we're all making it up as we go along. I, more than others, seem to respect the government and their handling of this pandemic. Everything continued to work. There were no disruptions. We remember that we were concerned that the food supply would be interrupted. The people were getting sick and they might not keep the water flowing and the electricity running. There was what could have been a panic and the president at the time tried to control the panic. But more importantly than not, the team that was assembled gave us a, a sense of calm that they were all over it, that they knew what to do even though they too were making it up as they were going along. There is no playbook for a pandemic, but nonetheless... What an interesting time, and that's what we're talking about right now. I'm still home. I haven't been in a store in seven months, almost. Jesse, you've been out a little bit. Me? I haven't gone anywhere. Uh, What, going to CVS counts as me going out? Now, I will tell you, I am considering, for the first time in seven months, to go into an actual store. I'll wear... Yeah, the best mask that I possibly can, but I'm tempted to go into a store and see what's going on. Have you been in a drugstore? CVS. Yeah, I told you. Have you been in a food store? Uh, no. I No, I haven't. Uh-huh. Well, other than going out to walk in the neighborhood and play golf, I've done nothing. But the point is, something's got to give. And I've been thinking that I spend all this time at home and I spend it really thinking, reading, of course, watching a lot of television. By the way, I think you watch a little bit too much about this and you read a little bit too much about this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Every time I get an article from you, it's like the most depressing thing about the coronavirus. The coronavirus can get you when you sleep. The coronavirus. Because more than anything else in this country, this is what's on people's mind. My stockbroker called me today. I have some treasury bills that came due. The first 20 minutes was about the pandemic. I couldn't even get anywhere. You know, I'm sitting there thinking my money's there. What should I do with it? And she's telling me about the pandemic. Correctly so. It's on everyone's mind. But that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is the brilliance of technology right now. And I'm amazed by it. I remember... One of the first times someone came to me with an iPad to make a presentation. The only problem was it wasn't an iPad. It's one of my favorite stories. Jesse, you know Jason Bin. I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, who Jason Bin is. He is the founder, he was the founder of a company called Niche Media. Niche Media bought magazines in all the local communities of big, important cities. In New York, it was Gotham. In Los Angeles, it was L.A. Confidential. In uh, Vegas, it was Vegas Magazine. There was one in Washington, in Miami. It was um, Ocean Drive. And he built this conglomerate. He was a very, very impressive guy. Very young at the time, in his 20s, maybe early 30s. And I took a liking to him. And at the time, I was a powerhouse in the advertising and media world. I represented a company spending tens of millions of dollars a year on advertising. And he wanted to come and convince me to be in his magazines. Now, between you and me, girls, he didn't have much job to do. I was a sure thing. I was like pretty woman 
with the strawberries and the champagne. I already made a decision that I wanted to be in his magazines because I figured I had brands at the time that would make sense to talk to the elite of New York City. And it was for relatively inexpensive money to get in those magazines. Ocean Drive, the world lived in Miami models, exciting people, vacation times. I wanted to be in those magazines. Well, also, just to note, he knows everybody. Like, I'm not even exaggerating that. He knows everybody in pop culture, in entertainment, in sports, actors, musicians, everybody. I have a signed picture in my apartment with uh, Kim Kardashian. He helped me take a picture with her. I mean, it's amazing. You know, the very one of the, I'll never forget this. He always would invite my brother Jared and I to these kind of, you know, parties, these restaurants. He says one night, come meet me at, I forgot what restaurant it was. He goes, it'll be a good time. So Jared and I show up. You know who we hung out with the entire night? Lance Bass from NSYNC and the guy who did the Old Spice commercials riding on the horse. Couldn't even make up that combination of people, but we spent the entire night together. Well, you know, I thought you were going to impress me with the attendees. You see, I, I see him hanging out with the Kardashians. What's Mama Kardashian's name? Chris Jenner. Yeah, one of the last times I was with him, he said, come hang with me. And next thing I know, I'm with Chris Jenner. You know, Sylvester Stallone. This guy knows everyone in the world, which brings me to, uh, I don't know, a joke. I haven't told a joke in a while. Shall I? You know, when you tell jokes, you get yourself in trouble. Well, this is not one of those jokes, okay? So there's a guy named John Miller. And John Miller's walking down the street one day, and he runs into his friend Brett. And Brett says, hey, John, how are you? And John says, I'm not doing very well, Brett. Brett gets quiet. He looks at John. He said, can I help? What's the matter? He said, nobody can help me. What's wrong? Well, if I tell you, you're not going to believe me. He says, tell me, what, what's wrong? He said, I'm haunted. I know everyone in the world, and everyone in the world knows me. I have no privacy. I can't sleep. It's just crazy. I'm miserable. So Brett looks at him and says, don't worry. Nobody knows everyone in the world. It can't be. He says, I'm telling you, I know everyone in the world. He says, I'm going to prove to you you don't know everyone in the world. He says, how are you going to do that? He says, I need you to come with me. and he, Let's go to Las Vegas. Okay. So they go to Las Vegas. The first place they go is to Caesars Forum Shops. They go to the Coliseum to watch a show. Celine Dion's on the stage. She's singing whatever song she sings. She looks out the audience and she says, that's a beautiful audience. I'm so happy you're here. And she stops. She said, puts a hand over her eyes to shade him from the lights. And she goes, John, is that you? Brett looks at John and can't believe what he just said. He says, I told you, Brett, I have a problem. They leave there. Okay? They go over to Planet Hollywood. Jennifer Lopez is performing. She's doing one of her things. She's dancing. She's singing. She's raising a storm. She goes up to the front row singing. She stops in the middle of the song and sees John and Brett. And she says, John, I didn't know if you were here. I would have seen you backstage. Shocking. Brett can't believe what he sees. Okay? So he says, I told you, Brett, I, I, I have a problem. I know everyone or Impossible. I need you to fly with me to Washington. Okay. I fly to Washington. That night, the president's giving the State of the Union address. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States. And in comes walking President Donald Trump, saying hello to everyone, shaking everyone's hand. And all of a sudden, two rows into the aisle, he stops cold. He says, excuse me, moves a couple of people aside. And he says, John. I can't believe you're here. I'm so happy to see you. This is great. You know what? I'm going to say hello to you from the podium. This goes on. Brett can't believe what he's seeing. He says, Brett, I have a problem. I know everyone in the world. He said, I'm going to help you. Brett says, this is impossible. Let's go to Rome. They leave right then and there. They fly to Rome. Now it's a Sunday. This is the day that the Pope will come out on the terrace and address from the Vatican all his followers and people of the Catholic persuasion. They expect a million people that night. They go to the Vatican. I forget what the area is called where they're standing there. You and I were there, Jesse. You remember? Vatican City? Maybe, well, it's a city, but I don't remember where you're standing. It's all lit up. They're waiting for the Pope to come out on the, uh, on the balcony and give an address. And John Miller says to Brett, look, Brett, 
I, I have a problem I know ever in the world, and I, I know I, I can't prove it to you, but you stay here. I'm going to disappear. I'll see you in a few minutes. John disappears. Next thing you know, five minutes later, the crowd starts roaring, a million people screaming. And there, on the balcony, getting ready to address the people, is the Pope with his arm around John Miller. Brett almost has a heart attack. He can't believe what he sees. And standing next to Brett, there are two little boys. And one little boy says to the other, hey, who the heck is that guy up there with John Miller? (laughs) That's an interesting joke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's who Jason Bin is. He knows everyone in the world. He built this empire, sold it, and then began a new magazine venture, an online publication called DuJour Magazine. And I really like this guy, and I work with him. As I said, I was going to buy from him, and over the course of time, I spent a lot of money in his magazines. But the first real time I ever saw, I'll bring you back, a presentation, he did it for me on this little gizmo technology. And it was the most piece of garbage presentation I ever saw. And before I even began, he showed me the front. I said, are you kidding me? You're supposed to be a world-class company. You come up here and make a presentation on this little garbage? Everyone in the world has an iPad. What are you? And I embarrassed him to this day. He tells that story. I tell that story. And it taught him a lesson about how to present. And that brings me to where we are now. The other day, I watched the Apple presentation that took place on September 15th. Jesse, did you get to see this? No, because it wasn't the announcement of a new phone. It was like watches, so I kind of lost interest. Well, I didn't. I'm not interested in an Apple Watch. It's the one thing I don't have. They launched a new version of their iPads. I have them. I don't need them. But they made this presentation, and it blew my mind. Now, of course, it's Apple. I shouldn't be shocked because it's such an incredible company, and they're all technology. But if you would have seen this presentation, how it laid out on their campus, and they had shifted from area to area with different business heads explaining all these new products, you would have understood how important technology is in this day and age, how important it is to sell your products, how important it is to have virtual brains. And Apple and Tim Cook was amazing. And this presentation had diversity, it had excitement, it had the brilliance of technology, what it was today. And if anybody ever wants to see how they should think about technology in the future, go see that Apple presentation online. You probably can find that on Apple TV. I'm a fan of F1, Formula One racing. I love it. Probably started because I traveled all over Europe when I was a young man. I got involved seeing these races, understanding what they were all about. And even if I wasn't seeing the amount of product sold on racing teams throughout Europe, Aston Martin in Hackett, Ferrari everywhere, all these brands, the excitement going on. And I watch Formula One on TV, on ESPN. There's a race. We're in the season, the Formula 2020 season. There's a race every other week. They're catching up on missing the season, so every weekend, sometimes there's one one week after the other. I love it. And I became a fan of Ferrari. Ferrari's having a terrible season. Something gone wrong with their racing program, at least on Formula One. But they just came out with a new car called the Portofino M. The Portofino has been around since 2018. It's a... Entry-level Ferrari. Now, putting it in perspective, an entry-level Ferrari is $200,000 without extras, without tax and batteries. But they just came out with an M version of it. Matarata, I think it means. It's, it's, it's a version of this car, but updated and modernized a bit after two or three years on sale. And the CEO of Ferrari presented a virtual presentation online. And as great as Apple was, that's how great Ferrari was in this presentation. I was astounded to see the technology, the clarity, the cars in movement, the way they told the story from the engine to the actual racing. I really, really was impressed. And once again, technology during the pandemic is doing big things. Apple would have had 
this announcement in their campus. Having invited guests from the press from all over the world, they couldn't do it. They did virtually. Ferrari would have had it in Modena in Italy and invited the press from around the world and then taken that car to various different locations to show it off. But they did it virtually and they did it brilliantly. Which brings me to Zoom. I never heard of Zoom before until one of our family members said, we're all dispersed, let's get the family together on Zoom. He sent us all the links, and the next thing I know, we're all communicating and having a meeting and a family get-together on Zoom. The brilliance of this technology was amazing. I'm told people are worshiping from home using Zoom. And the point of all of this is as follows. Ben Franklin said, well done is better than well said. I, for one, live by that. I believe so much in my heart that it's so much better to do than tell me what you're going to do. I don't want to hear what you're going to do. I want you to show me what you're going to do. Except there's no playbook for a pandemic. And in this regard, maybe. Perhaps you could say right now, even more importantly, leadership through technology is changing the way we do things during this pandemic. There is no playbook for a pandemic, but brilliant minds are finding a way to navigate our way through. Take a break. Back in a minute. Always in fashion. This is Mark Weber. We're living in strange times. But nonetheless, we all have to get dressed. Interestingly enough, we're dressing differently because we're working at home. And most people want to wear clothes that they're comfortable in. And having said that, I'm very excited to be affiliated with DKNY, both men's and women's, because they have some of the best activewear collections that you've ever seen. Now, this is not a time to be thinking about what's important in business. It's a time to be thinking about a lot of different things. We're all under the gun. We're under attack. But at the same time, we have to live our lives. We have to get up in the morning, brush our teeth, get dressed, feel good about ourselves. I can only tell you that DKNY right now has active wear that looks sensational. Now, the good news is, is as we dress up casually, we still are working from home. And working from home, you have to believe in the adage, you still have to look your best, particularly when you're having conference calls and video conferences with different people. Nobody's looking at what you're wearing in your pants, but wearing sweatpants from DKNY that are comfortable and look cool, great. More importantly, the tops let you look active, let you look comfortable, let you look fashionable, and you don't have to give up your style. DKNY activewear is incredible, as I say, both for men's and women's. And here's the best news of all. This virus will be behind us soon. We'll be back out there making an impression, taking care of business, going through the activities of our lives. And on the casual side, whether we go to the gym, whether we go to sporting events, whether we go to our children's sporting events, we have to look the part. DKNY Activewear. Welcome back to Always in Fashion. Here's your host, Mark Weber. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys love. Yeah, this is Mark Weber. This is Always in Fashion. And tonight, our show is There is no playbook for a pandemic. Nobody knows what you're supposed to do. I thought the government has done a pretty good job leading the way, but nobody has a clue how to behave during a pandemic. What are the rules? What got me thinking about this, actually? Jesse, you know what got me thinking about this? What's that? Uh, TV. I was watching, of all things. You ever see the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? You know, that's one of those movies that I should have seen and I, I need to see, but I haven't seen. Oh, you definitely have to see it. First of all, Robert Redford and Paul Newman together are a great team. They made that movie and then went on to make this thing, which won the Academy Award. It's worth a watch. It's a great, great movie. But that's not the point. There's a scene in the movie that I was watching and never forgot. has to do with Butch Cassidy getting in a fight with this 
big guy. Big guy. And it turns out it's going to be a knife fight. First he kicks him in the nuts, and then when the guy is down, he punches him in the face, the fight is over. Well, there are no rules in a pandemic, but we've learned what some of them are. Jesse, you got any rules in this pandemic? I, for one, will not go anywhere without a mask. You got to wear a mask because what we're now learning, and I, I guess I'll, it conflicts with what I said earlier in an earlier show, the mask actually does protect the wearer. We always thought it was just to protect the other person. Now we're learning it actually does provide a, a source of protection. It's not saying that you won't get infected, but you not, might not get as sick if you wear a mask. So that means anywhere I go, I am going to be wearing that mask. Even if I go in my apartment hallway, I'm going to wear a mask. That's a definite. Uh, who told you from day one that the mask is there to help you and that no one in this world wears a mask to help anyone else? Maybe if Mother Teresa was alive, maybe if Gandhi was still around, maybe they'd be wearing a mask to help somebody else. But no, people who wore masks was to help themselves. Let's be intellectually honest. You always said that, but you never said that it was to actually protecting the person. You thought people were mistakenly believing that it was going to protect them. That's the only reason they were wearing it. They didn't know. Yeah, I never said mistakenly. I wore that mask from day one. You always thought it was going to protect you? We had masks in this family the minute we heard this was going on. And never once, I assure you, was I worried about the well-being of my fellow man. Come on. Well, I'll tell you this much. I don't think I'm hanging out with anybody inside for a very, 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 very long time. Well, I'm ordinarily the pessimist, but I, for one, believe the vaccine is coming, and I believe it's going to work. You want to talk about rules of politics? Why would anyone put doubt in the minds of Americans that the virus will not work? You don't have enough virus deniers out there? The whole society, the whole world is hanging on the thread that this virus may be the answer. And we got all these idiots out there making and putting doubt in. Well, listen, the problem is they want to be sure that whatever vaccine comes out, it's safe. How bad would it be if everybody starts taking a vaccine? They think it's the cure. They think it's the end of the pandemic. Well, why would it not be safe all of a sudden? Because it's Trump and because it's an election year and Trump wants to get elected? With all due respect, you believe in blood transfusions? You believe in aspirin? Do you believe in penicillin, antibiotic? All of these things were developed, tested, and... We have enough watchdogs between the CDC and WHO and every doctor in America looking out for us. Why sow the seeds of doubt? You want to talk about rules? Anybody who's doing this should be thrown away with the key. Let them stay at home. Hold on one second. Uh, seeds of doubt? There's a lot that the government has not made me feel so great at being safe during this va uh, pandemic. There have been a lot of mistakes, a lot of problems, so I'm not surprised if people are a little skeptical of whether or not a vaccine is going to be so quick people are ready to go to russia to get a vaccine and that thing who knows what that thing does to you you know what before you rush the decisions people should just keep their mouth closed and listen hear what unfolds and go from there no question we got a lot of erroneous information and stupid things were done but we're very much further along there's no playbook for a pandemic we're learning I got a different one for you. I don't know that we'll agree on this or not. I'm wearing a mask. Anytime I see a person without a mask, I really can't stand them. Having said that, um, you think you'll ever shake hands again? Yeah. And you know how I know that? You know how I know I will shake hands again and how people will shake hands? I was watching the U.S. Open. Bryson DeChambeau. How many times did he shake someone's hand at the end of winning that? And he didn't mean to. You could see that he was uncomfortable at times. People would give him the fist. He didn't think. People don't think. We've been shaking hands for our entire lives. You think seven months is going to change anything? You think a year is going to change anything? People are going to go back to shaking hands as soon as possible. I think my friends in Japan and Korea had it right from day one. They've been bowing, and there are other societies that have bowed and never shook hands, and they knew. It was always about um, disease and, and problems way back when. Oh, well, I think handshaking is gone, but what do I know? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Would you, talking about rules, it's starting to, you know, you could get a haircut. You might want to get a haircut outside. You might want to get a haircut from someone in a barber when you're the only customer there. How do you feel about getting haircuts? 
Well, Jesse, you just got a haircut on your roof with a woman who cuts your hair. How do you feel about it? First of all, it wasn't my choice. Work told me I had to cut my hair because it was growing outrageous. So I had to do it. Yeah, you were getting funny comments on the internet, right? Someone said I had a bird's nest. Somebody says his hair is looking absurd. I mean, like, what do you want from me, people? We've been in a pandemic. So I had to get a haircut. <laughs> Look, was I very uncomfortable? Because considering this was a person who was closer to me in the last seven months than anybody outside of my family has been? Yes, I was uncomfortable. You mean close by proximity? Let's just step back. This is a person who actually was touching me. I haven't had someone like anyone near me for seven months. I have her cut my hair. She's wearing a mask. I'm wearing a mask. Technically, we're both safe. In my heart, it was racing. I didn't like it. I kept trying to see if her mask was falling down. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, it's past her nose a little bit. She brought it back up. So I was freaking out. At the end of the day, I got a really good haircut. So I'll take the chances. Uh, well, I got news for you. If I was going to allow a woman to touch me, it wouldn't be for a haircut right now. Man, you are creepy. My rules are no rules right now. I will not be near humans. I will stay in for as long as it takes. I still continue to order in food, and when it gets here, it's a misery, disinfecting, washing my hands. I could be a surgeon right now. I've learned how to wash my hands incessantly. So you made fun of me before the pandemic, before we even knew about coronavirus. I washed my hands pretty thoroughly. You made fun of me. You said, what are you washing in? You scrub it in. What are you about to do surgery? Who was right, my friend? Who was right, my friend? Go know you were a visionary. By the way, question for you. Even after the pandemic eventually ends, you think you'll still wear a mask around while walking around the street? I think it's going to take a while to wean people off of masks because we won't know who had the vaccine or not. You're going to wear a sign on your head, I had the vaccine, I'm good or not? It's not going to end that simply. How about movies? People are going and stopped. Movie industry appears to be dead. You want to talk about waiting for a vaccine? They need a vaccine. Otherwise, they're going to have to start releasing movies at home. I wonder whether or not they'll take one of these big blockbusters, try it at home, raise the price. There's no price I wouldn't pay to watch. What's the new James Bond movie? No Time to Die. No time to die. Name the price. I would watch it at home. Okay, so if I said to you $100, you pay it? Yes. 150 Easy. Okay. $300. $300 to watch the movie at home. That movie? Absolutely. You would pay $300 to watch a movie at home once. You don't own it. I would pay $1,000 to watch the movie and not think twice. You don't even know the name of the movie. You keep messing it up. <laughs> and you pay $1,000? <laughs> Well, why don't you ask me, what would I pay for tenant? What would you pay for tenant? Well, what do you think? $20. Yeah. Let me change it up. Uh, you pay $50. Rainy night? Yeah. So that's as far as you would go, $50? Uh, I think I'd go 100 just to be entertained. Wow. Okay. Black Widow? Zero. Oh, no. See, I would, <laughs> I'd pay money to watch that. Oh, by the way, I made the mistake of watching that movie about Harley Quinn. Is that the worst movie ever done? I remember seeing that with my girlfriend. Two minutes in, I said, we have to leave. This movie's awful. I, we, like the first movie in a long time, I wanted to leave the theater. I watched it through and through. Is there a refund policy if they do this with movies? I don't understand how you have people who are experts in the movie-making industry and they had that made. You're an expert. You should know what works. I don't know. How do you make a bad movie? How do you make a movie like that? Well, they did. Anyway, back to Hollywood and this virus. There are going to be new rules. No question about it. How they're going to share it with the movie theaters, that's another big issue. Anyway, there's no set plan for a pandemic. That's what we've been talking about tonight. So we've discussed handshaking. We've discussed masks. We've discussed the vaccine. Anything else before we move aside when we are talking about and there is no playbook for a pandemic? Yeah, I do. Aside from the people who are breaking the rules, when do you think people are going to feel comfortable going to crowded places like bars, clubs, concerts? When do you think they're really going to feel comfortable doing that? Well, the problem I've had with the pandemic and this virus and this plague, as I've said on every show that I seem to be talking about it now that I think about it on every show, is that I don't really see the end game. I don't get what happens to get us to a point where we're relaxed. 
So we were talking a moment ago about the vaccine. At what point is the entire world population inoculated with the vaccine? I am so frightened. I believe there are 102 new cases in New York City right now. Nothing, basically, except for the 102 people who are suffering with it. But when they open up the country again, and you start hearing planes flying again, and when they open up all the businesses and the subways are packed and Uber is packed and on and on and on, what's going to happen next if they're not all inoculated? This is the part that makes me nervous. I don't see an end game. So what can I say? I am fearful, and yet I'm enlightened. I am lost, and I am found. I am sad, and yet I'm happy. Because in spite of me saying I don't see an end game, I think the virus could be the savior of the human race as we know it. What our future will look like? is anyone's guess. Will we ever go back to normal? I'm not sure. Will there be a new normal that allows us to live our lives in a way that we could enjoy ourselves? I am hoping for that. Nobody can reminisce about the future because we haven't lived it yet. There is no roadmap for a pandemic. Good night. And everybody knows.